Good evening. You're listening to News from the Boo, our weekly news section brought to you by station co-managers Delphine Crescenzo or myself, Michael Crenshaw. We talk to you every Wednesday from 545 to 6 p.m. about things going on in the KBOO community and things related to the station. Today I have a special guest, Nikki Martin, and we're talking about the work that she does with sound. How are you doing, Nikki? Good. How are you today? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. So tell us about what you're doing at the station and what you do with sound. So I received the KBOO Sound Artist Residency, and the project was that we were going to use the radio station as a platform and a venue um, to kind of launch the work of a lot of these scientists that are running around the world doing recordings in the field. Um, and then it kind of goes back to universities and other f- areas to be studied. Um, you know, it's, it's in the field of acoustic ecology and bioacoustics. So they're using the sounds that are captured to study the natural world and our impact on it. Study the natural world and our impact on it. Um, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that there was maybe less than 2% of the earth that's not affected by sound that is basically created by civilization? Yes, yeah. It it's kind of depends on the matrix, but a number that's sort of banded about, depending on the study, is, is around 2% uh, left. So that kind of leads one to question, you know, if we don't know what it actually sounds like without us, how can we actually study our impact on it? Um, you know, if there's just nothing to compare that to. So a lot of these field recordists are trying their hardest to go out to these locations that are still minimally impacted or otherwise unimpacted if you if you can find it to record that so that we actually do have something to compare it to because there's a lot of animals and things like that that just won't make the vocalizations around us that they will when we're not there if a tree falls in the woods exactly so are you from oregon uh, I am not. I'm from the bioregion, so mm-hmm. I grew up in western Washington, um, and then I was working in D.C. for a while and came back came back here. So. Do you Are you somebody that spends a lot of time in the outdoors? I try to, and okay. I, I, I think a lot of this kind of idea was when I was living in D.C. and really missing being out in the woods. You know, I'd make mention of this to some of my friends, and they'd be like, oh, you can just go to Rock Creek Park, which, if you're not familiar, is like a really large green space in D.C., but it's full of roads. There's overhead plane noise and helicopter noise. It's just like you can't get away from people there. And it really got me thinking, if this is what they think of when they're thinking of the woods, it's like the the difference in perspective that I have that I've had the privilege to grow up in an area where you can go out and get away f- from people. And that's just not really available for a lot of folks. Yeah, the reason I asked the question, I moved here from Minnesota once I had the pleasure of uh, spending a couple of days in the Boundary Waters Canoe area in the Finger Lakes between Canada and Minnesota, and it's a remote area where they don't allow motorized vehicle traffic. And so at night, at dusk, at dawn and at dusk, you could hear a very specific loop that uh, had certain types of insects and birds and even some mammals, and they would all take their place like a rhythm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the first time I noticed that nature can have a rhythm that's actually a loop that repeats itself. Um, and it was awesome to be able to experience that. And I was wondering if you knew of, like, what would be the some of the quietest places that you have been in the region? Uh, for me, 
I haven't actually been to that many that are that quiet. Uh, I'm sort of depending on the folks that get out more often than I do uh, to kind of let me know. And and the thing with that, too, is a lot of people are very hesitant to tell you the spaces that they do know that are quiet because they don't want a bunch of people to go look for them. Because if everybody goes looking for the quiet spot, then the quiet spot's no longer quiet. So that's kind of the paradox of this whole soundscape thing where it's like we want people to know it's out there we want people to be able to experience it because it's beautiful but if you if anybody hikes out there trying to do that it could be destroyed you know it's it's one of those things where our presence could could literally and and is elsewhere um just destroying these these soundscapes and they're so fragile and they're so ephemeral and they're time-based and you know every beach sounds different because of the different types of stones that are on the beach you know bernie krauss talks about this a lot uh that it, it really just depends on the moment in time and the place that you're at and what also happens to be there with you that's really fascinating stuff because the, what what i'm realizing as i listen to you talk is that sound is a universe um in and of itself, you know, and you're really talking about energy and different types of vibrations. So I imagine there are are lots of sounds that are too quiet for us to pick up with our ears. Mm -hmm. There are probably sounds that might be at such loud frequencies that they would like destroy matter. Yeah. And different ends of that spectrum from high to low. Can can you tell us a little bit about that? A little bit. You know, again, I am I am by no means an expert. I am not an acoustic ecologist nor a bioacoustician. I'm just lucky enough to have geeked out and talked to a few of them over the years. Um, so there are many other books or people you can talk to that know more about this than I do. But, you know, basically the human realm of hearing is, is 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. Uh, a lot of animals and bugs can hear way above and way below that. So for instance, you know, your common homing pigeon, uh, the homing pigeon can hear things down to 0.5 hertz, which is really, really, really low. And a lot of times it's it's called infrasound for us. There's nothing different about the sound wave. It's just too low for us to perceive. So we call it infrasound. And, And those, that's actually how they migrate. That's how they know where to go. They'll fly up like mountains and valleys and they'll listen to the sound waves, kind of like the waves crashing on the shore will then transfer to the land, which will then resonate off the mountains. So a pigeon that's in the Rockies can hear the Atlantic Ocean. Whoa. It's pretty cool. That is really cool. So that might have something to do is I mean, is that how fish some fish migrate as well? They're, you know, they're still studying it because, like, the way that sound travels underwater, you know, everything's slightly different and animals have all kind of evolved different ways of of hearing these things and processing these things. But there is some evidence that's, you know, whales, like bowhead whales might be using sound to navigate under the ice. Man, that's fascinating stuff. And um, I'm going to ask you maybe one more question one or two more questions just based on curiosity because I'm the more I listen to you then the more questions I have and mm-hmm. I, I understand that you don't consider yourself like an expert as far as the academics in the field but you know more than me about it <laughs> someone was talking to me recently about how uh, earbuds actually erode the tiny bones in your ears that help you hear and uh, that was really fascinating because then I was able to think about sound like water mm-hmm. that erodes rocks you know mm-hmm. and shapes them in different ways um what can you tell us about hearing and the health of our hearing based on ambient sound and sound pollution? 
It's a really good question, and it's something that a lot of audiologists are interested in. And frankly, I have some you know, personal interest in the field because I'm losing my hearing. Um, so, you know, I, I used to do a lot of monitor work in a basement club. And even in college, you know, I, I wanted to do a baseline because I felt like things were happening. Um, I was starting to get tinnitus. And the audiologist looked at me and she's like, everything between 250 hertz and like 7 kilohertz, you're starting to get hearing loss in, which is very rare for somebody in their early 20s. And I kind of just started laughing because if you know anything about sound frequencies for rock bands, 250 hertz is basically every amplifier for an electric guitar or bass, like everything kind of sits in that area. And 7 kilohertz is cymbal shimmer. So I was just getting, you know, blasted in that acoustic environment and very promptly, you know, got a good pair of uh, earplugs that you could hear through still. Um, So that being said, you know, yeah, your hearing is fragile and, you know, basically anything over 100 decibels or 105 decibels, I I don't know the exact figure, so forgive me if I'm quoting this wrong, but I think it's like five to 10 minutes before you start getting damage. Um, and when your hearing is damaged, basically what happens inside your inner ear, there's these little cilia, these little kind of cell hairs. And when they break, they don't grow back. So they break when you get enough of like either a repetitive, um, you know, air blast, like if, if the wave is so strong that the air basically just hits your eardrum and, and it can break hairs inside your cochlea, inside your inner ear. Um, and then if that happens, uh, you know, again, it, it just it just doesn't grow back. So once that happens, that's when you start getting tinnitus because your brain is looking for that frequency and it's not finding it, but the nerve is still on. So you start getting like a feedback hum basically inside your ear. Hey, I bet to a lot of the people listening, um, you just answered a question that they're really curious about, which is where does tinnitus come from? Um, I've never known. And I always get curious about it when I experience that sensation in my own hearing and I go, I'm going to Google that and see where, where it comes from. And then I always forget. So thank you. And and so you're an artist in residency here at KBU. Can you tell us how KBU um, supports your work? Um, What's your interaction with the station like and, and how does that take shape? It's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, basically, I kind of came in with this idea in part from talking to other frustrated radio producers um, that work for some of, you know, the bigger stations or, or, or bigger, I'm losing the word, um, trying not to out certain stations. <laughs> we all know what you mean. <laughs> but they're, they're kind of frustrated because they have all of this really cool you know, recordings or, you know, really fascinating, more artistic work, but there's just not a venue for it. Um, the, the realities of the media landscape, you know, in the U.S. and elsewhere, everything is getting faster, everything's speeding up, the sound bite is getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and you're trying to fit more and more content, you know, into a, a, a shorter time frame. And it just gets to the point where you can't actually have a breath or a real conversation or even the time for a complete thought. So there's these folks that just have years of backlog work that they have no place to to show it they have no place for people to hear it 
Um, so I was listening to them kind of talk about that, you know, within their industry circles. And I was like, you know, we have this radio station. I have been geeking out with various people for close to a decade now that have all of these personal archives that just, again, you know, it's, it's basically unheard tape. It's these people sitting on top of hours and hours worth of the world and other artistic pieces. And I have a tendency in my creative field to facilitate other people's art. So I was like, why not use my first artist residency to showcase the work that all of these people are doing? Because um, I know production and, <laughs> and I know, you know, kind of how to use a platform. So for, for me, wow. um, it's been more about, you know, honing some of the curatorial skills that I've sort of observed from other people over the years with other work that I do, because I, I work um, a lot of folk and traditional music festivals and that kind of thing. So it's, it's pulling together a lot of different threads um, of my life for the past few years, uh, which has been a lot of fun. And the conversations that we've had here at the station, they're just like, oh, you're doing what we've wanted to do for years. And we just, you know, we aren't allowed to or we're a little nervous to or we're not sure because there's more of a risk. You know, it's like you don't want to alienate people. You don't want your listeners to just kind of like tune out and go someplace else. There's a lot of competition in, in media um, for listenership. So it's kind of a fun little thing where we're all kind of sitting here with a giant science experiment being like, what's going to happen? You know, are people actually going to respond to this? Are they going to like this? Um, you know, is this useful? Is somebody going to find this meditative or healing or interesting or launch them into, you know, some sort of community collaboration? Uh, you know, we're talking about... Uh, trying to get some people from like BARC and other wilderness advocacy organizations together with field recordists that are interested in helping them do these wilderness surveys so that, you know, they have the documentation available as they're, you know, trying to coordinate their efforts surrounding some of these timber sales, you know, because a lot of times people will tell them like, oh, those animals don't exist there. And if you can't see it, what can you say? But if you have a microphone out there recording for hours, you can come back and be like, actually, we have scientists that can say this is exactly a spotted owl. And yes, it's here, you know, because it's it's in the soundscape. Um, so there's a lot of like really cool things where people with a field recorder can, can go out and help um, these advocacy efforts. So it's it's it, we're just trying to connect some threads, really. And it's been a lot of fun to do that. Wow, I'm really impressed. Uh, that's all exciting, interesting work that you're doing. Where can our listeners uh, hear more about what you're doing outside of, of here on News from the Boo? Uh, we've got the Threshold Shift program page up at kboo.fm, and that you'll kind of find additional content. Uh, the show airs Fridays at 10, from 10 to 10.15. And then we have another long-form episode coming up um, from 12... AM to 3 AM on the 18th, Wednesday the 18th, um, where we'll kind of maybe do a little bit more live broadcast. We're, we're still sort of seeing how we want to structure that one, um, have a little more fun with it. But as for that, you know, this, this project runs till the end of October. Um, we'll have it archived on the station website for a while, and then we're kind of figuring out next steps from there because, uh, you know, a lot of this really just does exist within this format right now. You know, a lot of the soundscapes that I'm getting aren't on CDs are available. Thank you so much, Nikki Martin, Artist in Residency here at KBOO Portland, kboo.fm. Thank, thank you for listening to News from the Boo. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank Bye -bye. you.